Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Jake. Good morning. Glad you're here. If you are going to take notes and you're not, um, you're not there yet, you want to go ahead and do that. Like Jake said, can do it at the website, or the con- most convenient way really is to use um, the app. If you want to just kind of scribble your own notes, that's great. And if you learn best by listening, uh, it works fine. We start a new series today called The Parables of Jesus. But I need to give a little bit of a backstory because some of you, when I, um, when I talk about what I'm going to talk about today, some of you are going to be really quick and you're going to go, wait, that's not a parable, that's a story. So let's just handle that real quick. What's the difference between a parable and a story. Parable is exactly that. It's an illustration that Jesus would have used to teach a greater truth, right? And a story is simply that. It's a story that actually happened to Jesus. Um, So uh, we're calling this the parables of Jesus. Um, But today I'm teaching on the feeding of the 5,000, which is not a parable. It was a story. So pastor, why are you telling a story when you've named it the parables? Because I'm the pastor and I can do what I want when I'm up here. teaching. But that's, the, that's, that's a little bit of a joke. Here's what it was. When we actually, we planned six months in advance. And when we had planned this all the way back in July, we were going to be teaching this. We actually called it the stories of Jesus. And so I had already started gathering material for what I wanted to teach on. And then um, we have a creative arts department that takes it and puts together the artwork and they start working on all of the internal things. And someone forgot to tell me that we switched it to parables from stories, right? So that's what, but how about this? Jesus did both. So it's going to be about Jesus. And like, if you're just like, well, I can't learn anything because it's a story, not a parable. Something's wrong with you, to be honest with you, right? Just, but next week we will go back and it will be parables, not a story, but today is a story. And probably 90% of you would have walked out and it wouldn't have ever mattered to you. But it's one of those things to me, like, uh, why, why would they do that? I just wanted to explain it to you right there. Um, so um, I was going to save this for later in the message, and I still will touch on more of the details. But if you were here two weeks ago, you know that something um, spontaneous, truly wonderful happened in that. Uh, we were in the, 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 a, a two-week missions message. I was doing the first one. And um, I had planned in about a month and a half, somewhere in that time frame, that I'm going to share. I, I've been letting out little, little, little bits and little pieces here and there of what's in my heart and what I think's coming. And, uh, you know, the teaching and the training center I've been talking about for years and how the church is going to be a part of that and just where that's going to go. And I've been talking about selling property and maybe we'll, we'll build, maybe we'll buy. And I've, 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 I'm, I'm doing that sort of to prepare you. It's the ask before the ask. And I thought, in my mind, I had this real neat idea. I have this really beautiful Harley, and I was going to lead um, what we're trying to accomplish in showing, hey, sometimes we sacrifice things in order to to obtain the things that God has for us. And I was going to put my Harley up in order to begin leading into into going towards a vision that God has has given us. And um, I, 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 that message two weeks ago was about where our missionaries, five of our missionaries right now are going through a very difficult time because of COVID and they still are right now. 
There are certain places on the planet you just simply can't get into and you can't get out of. And they still, not only are they still doing the ministry that they were doing, you know, nine months ago, they're doing it with so many more people now who are in great need. And I started sharing in the middle of that about the need that was there. And I, I was going to, to set it up to say, hey, look, it's very rare that we ever ask for an offering for anything other than just the tithes and the offering, but this is one that we wanna do. And while I was doing that, if you were here for the message, it was, it was not planned, it was spontaneous. This is what the Holy Spirit said to me. If you'll take care of what's in my heart, I will take care of what's in your heart. And I knew as soon as he said it to me, use the motorcycle for this right now. So how many of you, how many of you were here for that a couple of weeks ago? Okay, so here's what happened. Uh, I, I got home, you know, I got done with the second service. I got home, I changed my clothes. I sat down on my sofa just to kind of take a break. And my phone rings and a guy was like out of breath. He's like, is it too late? Is it too late? Can I bid on the motorcycle? And I'm like, you're actually the first one that's, that's called me. And he said, Pastor, I'll give you $25,000 for it right now. And I, I hadn't even had a chance to, you know, to think about what I was going to do, but this is $25,000. I said, how? He actually said, can we buy the motorcycle? And uh, I said, of course you can buy it. He said, what do you want for it? And I said, well, how much do you want to give to missions? And he said, well, let me tell you the story. He said, my wife and I, we have to agree on the number or else we won't do it. He said, so our daughter was in the car and she's a teenager and I wanted to teach her how God speaks to people, how, how God is alive and, and moving today. So he said, I whispered in her ear the number that God gave me and I had her mom whisper in her ear the number that God gave her. And the number pastor that we both whispered without knowing was $25,000 and our daughter just was like, this is so weird, what, what is it? And I like, well, first of all, congratulations for teaching your child the miraculous because that will come back to you like you can't believe. But if God told you 25,000 and you're the one that got to me first, we will sell it for $25,000. All right, so that's where it began. In two weeks time, just missions, just for this project, we're at $175,000. <laughs> right now. And it gets better. Hold on. It gets better because the pledges that I have, that's just cash that's already come in, including the, like the person with the check, we're closed on Mondays. I, clo I, I, I make the staff take Sabbath on Monday because we work over the weekend. So the first day we're open is Tuesday. That person was there first thing on Tuesday with the check. Uh, and then here's the good news. They said, we don't have any room for the motorcycle. Can you hold on to it for a little bit? Like, I can hold on as long as you'd like me to keep the, keep the motorcycle. So um, they, they, uh, they had dropped that off. So a, an actual $175,000. Uh, so last night I said one sixty-five, but Jonathan Murley was just handed a check for $10,000 that you don't even know about right now. So one seventy-five. But I know that we have pledges that right now we'll put it over $200,000 that's come in for that. So it's life-changing amounts of money that are gonna go to our missionaries, and many of them are listening right now. Um, if you were to turn around and look at that little red dot, turn around, do it real quick. Our missionaries right now, all over the world, yeah, wave at them real quick. So here's what I would say to all of you who are watching, you are loved and we are with you. You are not in this by yourself. You're not working by yourself. God hasn't forgotten about you. We're with you, man. We're with you. 
And so, Pastor Murley, I just literally, I just 10 minutes ago downstairs, I just said, John, when are you going to begin to distribute the money? Uh, and he said, I, I would love to bring it to them personally, but it's, you know, it's impossible right now. So he's going to begin uh, sending, although he is headed towards South Africa in just a couple of weeks. So I'll be right at, you guys are going to, where? Kenya. Kenya, not South Africa, the middle of Africa. It's Africa. Thanks for correcting me. Right? Yeah, appreciate that. So don't make a mistake with Sabi. Whoa. Okay. Uh, they're going to Africa, uh, and we'll deliver some of the money in Africa. <laughs> Bet you'll never do that again. Uh, so they are, they are going to be able to get there, but like in Peru, they can't get into Peru. There's just some places that they can't get into right now, but they're going to begin to disperse the funds uh, this coming week. And the one thing that I asked um, uh, Pastor Jonathan and Rebecca and Sabi to do is that uh, as they give the money and then as the money is put to use, we've got to record it so that you can see it, right? It's one thing for you to give because you trust us and because you're like, yes, that's a great cause. But it's another thing when you can see how it changes somebody's life, right? When you can see it feed a kid, when you can see. And you remember two weeks ago, I talked about that garbage dump in Johannesburg where they're rescuing babies that are just being thrown away. Five a day is how many kids on average, how many babies on average they're, they're picking out of a garbage dump. Five a day. Can you imagine that right now? So I didn't mean to turn our message into that, but I, let's be honest, if that's where God wants to go right now, I'd just give the whole thing to him and we could do that. I, so let me just say this real quickly. From the bottom of my heart and on behalf of every missionary, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Holy Spirit. Thank you for saying yes. If you're not in a position to give, but you prayed, it's as equally important, right? If you cheered just now and you clapped and you're like, right on, that's important. And if you were able to participate financially, thank you from the bottom of my heart that we can be generous like that. Because listen, listen, our God is generous with us, isn't he? And we reflect his nature when we're generous in this world too. So I want to commend you and I want to thank you and I want to encourage you whenever the Holy Spirit is doing that, man, Always jump on the blessing train. Amen. Always jump on the blessing train. Okay, let's, uh, let's do this. The parables of Jesus, or in this case, the story of Jesus. John chapter 6, 1 through 13 is our text. You can follow along with me. After this, okay, so let me explain what that means. Um, Jesus' cousin is John, who got the nickname the Baptist, right? So John the Baptist has just been beheaded. Jesus loved John the Baptist. They were very good friends. They spent a lot of time together from the time that they were little boys. They were intertwined with each other, like two cousins who live near each other and who are the same age, two boys. You know, we never think of Jesus as a boy. We never think of him as, as, a, as a little boy who liked to climb trees and who liked to run and who liked to play. And who would he do that with? One of the people was his cousin, John. And they grew up together. And John had a tremendous impact in the life of Christ. He was a forerunner for Jesus, the Bible said. John was going into places and announcing, prepare the way of the Lord. John is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives to prepare the way so that Jesus can go wherever he wants to go in our lives. Do you get it? It's, it's a neat picture in scripture. And so one of Jesus's best friends has been beheaded by Herod. And Jesus just gets the news. And honestly, 
the human part of Jesus is devastated. Now look, the God part, like he's all God and he's all man, the God part can totally reconcile the difference between temporary and eternity. He knows John is okay and then he'll see him again. But the human part is devastated. Have you ever suffered loss through death? Because it's a horrible thing, man. Do you know that Jesus himself said that the last enemy to be conquered is death? And I wonder if he was thinking about losing his cousin. Just maybe, right? But he called death an enemy. So Jesus is in this place where he's just devastated. And here, here's what I want you to think about real quick. If you've ever suffered that kind of loss and you have that kind of anguish and that kind of hurt, what is your, your first response is, is to, is it to go and to minister to people and to be outgoing or do you kind of withdraw and do you kind of just want to shut down and just get away and you, you need to be ministered to yourself? Do you get what I mean by that? And the only reason I'm pointing this out, I want you to picture where Jesus is at emotionally, where he's at spiritually, what's going on with Jesus. So the Bible just picks it up after this, after that news and after that devastating thing that just happened to him. Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. In other words, he could never get alone, even though he wants a few moments just to grieve, to reflect, to get with his father and just tell his father, this hurts. I mean, I get it, but it hurts right now. And just, he... You know, grief is one of those things that God has given us that helps heal a heart if you do it the right way. And Jesus needs a moment to grieve, but he's so well known and he's, he's so well known because of the miracles. People know that they can bring the sick to him, the possessed to him, the disenfranchised to him. Uh, all, all of those in society who need a touch from God, they can bring them to Jesus and they can find answers. So he crosses over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee to be alone and to have a little time to grieve. And a huge crowd keeps following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. I think with the intention of just talking about what had happened and how much he loved John. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. And as Jesus was beginning to just unburden himself and talk about the grief that he, that he felt, this is what happens. Jesus soon sees a large crowd, a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And instead of being incensed and instead of being angry and instead of feeling like, what about me? Here's our Jesus. They need me. And he's ready to put away his stuff in order to touch their stuff. Jesus is wonderful, man. He is wonderful. And the only reason I even say this right now is that sometimes we tend to think, I just gotta even have time for my stuff. You trust me, you go to God with your stuff and he will always make time to hear what's going on in your heart. He loves you and he cares for you. And there is no hurt too small or too large for our Jesus to care about you. He cares about you. So he sees a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Remember, they're in a very remote place. And turning to one of his disciples, Philip, he asked this question, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And then it gives us this insight. He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Real quickly, I just want you to think, what is this test about? 
What is it about? What, I mean, what is, it's all a test, really. So what's it about? What is it that Jesus wants to see Philip's response day? So Philip replied, uh, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Now, let me just ask you this question. True or false? It's true, isn't it? What a practical person this Philip is. Very practical. Can I just say this? This is not the guy you want with you in a crisis, though. Like, what are we going to do? Well, we're probably going to die. But don't worry, I'm here with you. So. <laughs> then Andrew, this is another one of his disciples, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but then look at his. But what good is that with this huge crowd? So like, he's a little bit better, but only a little. <laughs> and then Jesus goes ahead and just moves into ministry. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. And then it just records this insight. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Now, I can't prove this to you, but there's a reason why uh, in that particular uh, uh, culture and at that particular time, men sort of were, that's what it was about, right? So women often were not counted. Children were often not counted, except in our gospel. And the reason this is pointed out is because the Bible wants us to know it was not just men that were there, but there were women and there were children there. And how do you know there were children? Because it was a little boy who had five loaves, right? Yeah. Or yeah. right, yeah. right? Two, two loaves and five fish. And so the point simply is this, we don't know exactly how many, but if you were just to do, I mean, quick math, 5,000 men, maybe 5,000 women, and maybe 5,000 children. But if they were families, it was probably who knows how many children. The point is, it's a miracle at 5,000, but it's like 15,000, 20,000. So maybe his answer of we could work forever and not have enough money, or maybe we've got these two loaves and five fish, but it's not enough. Maybe there was some legitimacy to what they were saying in the natural, right? Maybe it's not as stupid. You know what we have? We have the benefit of seeing the miracle from this side. But if you were standing there at that time, it might have been easy for you to say the same thing. So the men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was, what's that word? So get the picture, man. They didn't go around saying, now look. Take this little tiny piece and before you have any, let's make sure everybody else has something, right? They were just like, eat as much as you want. Go for it. And everybody's just eating and eating and eating until they're full. And then Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five Barley loaves. Okay, just real quickly, uh, l- let me just ask this question to you, right? Let me, just, let me just point this out. The Bible is a carefully, carefully edited text by the Holy Spirit. The, one of the Gospels, uh, I think it's John's Gospel, says that if the works of Jesus had all been written down, 
the earth could not contain the volumes of the works of Jesus. Now it's hyperbole, I understand that. But the point simply is, the Bible didn't record everything that Jesus did. The Holy Spirit only selected a few things. So here's what I want you to think about. If it's a carefully edited text with only so much room, why does it take the time to point out that Jesus said, collect all of the scraps so that nothing is wasted? Why is that in there? When we get there, I'm going to show you something that I feel like the Lord told me. And you're free to disagree with me, but I think you're going to go, oh, that makes so much sense. And you're going to see something for the first time that is so good. And I never saw it before. And all the times I've read that story, I never saw it before. So here, if you're taking the notes, let me give you the three fill in the blanks real quickly. If you want to just write them down, you can do that. And if you can remember, God bless you, man. What is it? Ginkgo biloba? Because I can't remember like that. So the first one is just simply the fill in the blank. Answer before you think. Answer before you think. Now you've been taught, I bet, to think before you speak. Yes or no? We all have been taught that, and with good reason, because most of the time, if we just blurt something out without thinking about it, we put our foot in our mouth, correct? Yes. But in this particular situation right here, when it comes to Jesus asking the question, what are we going to do to feed all of these people? The answer of faith inside of your heart should be your first response, not the logic that passes through your head. Because when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is not against logic. He's not against wisdom. In fact, the Bible says he is wisdom. He is logic. Those things come from God. Those of you who lack wisdom, ask of God who gives freely to all people. God is wisdom. He loves wisdom. He's not against wisdom. But sometimes logic can get in the way of faith. Because we look at things with our natural mind like there's too many people here for us to take care of them. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. So we blurt out what our minds think rather than what our heart knows about what our God can do. So for sure, if you're going to answer a question at your job and your boss asks you, are you asking an employee, how can we handle this? Use logic. But if God asks you a question, use faith. Always use faith, man. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in this one limited instance, I want to reverse what you've been taught since you were a kid. Instead of thinking before you speak, speak before your brain gets in the way. Let faith come out of you. Speak the impossible. Because what's impossible with man is possible with God. Yes, you knew it. You knew it. Yes, you've got a good teacher. You knew it. You knew it. How about this? Real quickly, think about this. God never asks a question because he lacks the answer. Jesus was not like stumped by this. Whoo, there's a lot of people here. What are we going to do? There's no 7-Eleven. I can't find any like roadside barbecue. What are we... What are we going to do here? Like, I, I, guys, come on. Come on. Don't make me always have the... What are we going to do? 
Jesus is not stumped. He's not freaked out. In fact, the Bible says he already knows what he's going to do, but he's testing his disciples to see where their faith is. And I want to make this statement to you real quick. How many of you, just, just right off the top of your head, okay? Don't think about this. Just let your heart answer this. How many of you can say that God has done something great for you in your life? Raise your hand real quickly. Okay, so let me make this statement. If God has come through for you financially, if he's come through for you in health, if he's come through for you on a test, if he's come through for you with a job, if he's come through for you with a relationship, if he's come through for you in any way, shape, or form, you are forever without excuse to believe that he can do it again. And what is it about humankind that God can move on our behalf answer our prayers. And we know he's supernatural, but the next moment there's a test. We forget what he did last time and we fall back on, well, I don't know if he's going to do it this time. So we speak out what is not faith instead of speaking out what is faith. Even if you don't know what God can do, then the simple answer is to say, I don't know the answer, but I know you know the answer. And speak faith, man. Whenever God asks a question, it's not because he lacks the answer. He's trying to get you to get the right answer. Does that make sense? Did you get it? So what's the test about? Some of you yelled out, it's about faith. I agree with that. I do think it's about faith, but I think it's even deeper than that. These are his disciples. These are the ones who have seen Jesus raise the dead. They've seen him open blind eyes, heal deaf ears. They've seen him cast out the demonic. They've seen Jesus do things that you and I wish, right? They saw it with their own eyes. You would think if you saw Jesus raise one person from the dead, that forever you would be ruined to fall back to natural thinking, wouldn't you? And yet tell me it's not human. The human condition is that God can move so so passionately and so powerfully on our behalf. And 15 minutes later, we let the circumstance begin to dictate us what's going to happen rather than God and who God is dictating what's going to happen. And can I just say this? If God is nothing else, he is worthy of your complete trust in all situations. No, you, the most important thing I can say to you in this message is that if God is nothing else, if you want to please God, here's how you please him. Trust him. Just simply trust him. Trust him. God, I don't know how you're going to do this. God, this is really bad. God, yep, there's some really cruddy results that can happen. But God, I trust you. I put my life in your hands. I put the situation in your hands. And instead of saying what all of the stuff looks like, I'm going to say this. I know you can do the miraculous. And then begin to quote all of you. I think all of you. Maybe there was one or two who didn't raise your hand. But all of you raised your hand. So, so what thought should go in your head when you're faced with circumstances where you need a miracle? The thought that should go in your head is what God's done for you before. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't wake up in a bad mood. He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't decide, you know what? I think I'm just going to mess with you. Pop, pop, pop. He, he loves you. He, he actually likes you. Now, so that you understand what I'm saying here, nothing is wrong with logic. I'm a logical person. God created my mind. One plus one needs to equal two or I have trouble with things. Anybody else like that? Yes. 
But I can tell you as a pastor who has done this for 30 plus years, I can tell you sometimes my logic can get in the way of what God wants to do supernaturally. And unless I learn to overcome the logic, listen to this, I'll never see the supernatural in my life. This building right here, Look, if I had walked into this building, it was already built. Everything was here. Somebody hired me and I came into it. Okay, yes, God did something great for me, but, but this was already here. But you wanna know the truth? The first time I saw this thing, it was a field with a cross in the middle of it right up there. Unbilt, un, un anything, just weeds growing all over it. Logically, I looked at that. Do you want to know my first response to this piece of property? We cannot afford that. And you want to know what? That was true in the natural. But do you know what God wanted me to say to him? He did not want me to say, God, we just don't have enough money for this. And you laugh at that, but that's exactly what these guys did. How are we going to feed these people? We don't have enough money for this. You know what he wanted me to say to him? I have no idea, but you can do all things. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to stand with you. And God, I'm going to believe that you can do all things. My logic many times gets in the way of me experiencing the supernatural. And one of, one of my great life's journey that I'm still working on is learning that it's okay to be logical, but logic cannot supersede faith in God in the supernatural. And so many believers have trouble with it because here's what they say. If you could just show it to me, then I'll believe. You know who else said that? Doubting. Well, isn't that a terrible nickname to end up with for all of eternity? Like here's a disciple of Jesus who loved Jesus, who followed Jesus, who walked with Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you rather get, here is faithful Thomas. Instead, he gets the moniker doubting Thomas. I, that just is funny to me. Apparently not to many of you, but it's funny to me. So let, let's go for the story real quick. Jesus, remember, gives his life on the cross and he is resurrected. But before he ascends to heaven, he begins to appear to more than 500 people. And he had not yet appeared to Thomas. And the other disciples were telling them, we have seen him. He's alive. Thomas, Jesus is alive. And then Thomas makes that great state, that very logical statement. Unless I can put my finger in the mark on his hand where the nail was and touch his side where the spear pierced it. Unless I can see for myself, then I will not believe. And in that very moment, Jesus comes through the wall. Uh-oh. Hello. I wonder if his word stuck in his eye. And so Jesus doesn't condemn him. Jesus doesn't fight with him. Jesus walks up and says, put your fingers right here. Hey, check this out. Put your hand in here. And Thomas goes like, no need, not necessary. And then Jesus says this to him. Uh, this is, this is um, eh, where is it? Blip, blip, blip. Uh, John 20, 29. Listen to this. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. But listen to this. Blessed are those who believe without ever having to see me. Some people believe because they see and some people can see because they believe. 
learning to see so that you can believe, right? Learning to just like, God, I trust you. I, I know you, you are faithful. I, yep, that's good enough. And then the world can open up to you in the supernatural. But as long as you're one of these people who have logically, you know what? Yes, I believe the Bible. I, I believe those stories. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. But you know what? I just don't know that God moves that way. I mean, he's great. I'm going to heaven, but the supernatural, dude, you're removing the power of the gospel when you can't believe in the supernatural. It's supernatural to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. It's supernatural to believe that he died so that you don't have to. Why can't you believe that he wants to be strong on your behalf? That he wants to answer your prayers, that he wants to heal people, that he wants to set at, 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 at liberty those who are captive, that he wants to rescue people from the clutches of the enemy. Why can't God want to save your relationships? Why can't God want to do great things in your job? Why can't God want to elevate you? Why can't we believe great things about God? One of the papers I read is the Wall Street Journal. Two weeks ago, they did a book review. Uh, it was on, um, I, I had talked about this before, but there's actually a book now that's been written. Um, I'm gonna butcher the name, but it had, I think it was called Jefferson's Bible is the name of it. And it's Thomas Jefferson. And what Thomas Jefferson did was to take all of the miracles in the gospels. He cut them out of the Bible and only left the teachings of Jesus minus the miracles because he felt like, here, here's what we need to do. We need to make the gospel palatable for the average person. The moral teachings of Jesus are awesome, but the miraculous is too hard to believe. And here's what he really did. He, yes, Jesus was a great teacher, but he's no different than any other great teacher without the miracles that came along with it. And it is okay for you to believe in the miraculous. Yes or no? Yes. And I, listen, this message, it's gone so different than last night, hasn't it? I don't know why, I, it's almost a, apologetics right now to talk to you about it's okay to believe in the miraculous. So the first one is just simply answer before you think. Logic is good, but logic is not above faith. Faith sometimes supersedes logic, doesn't it? It just does. Okay, here's the second one if you're doing the blanks. Close but no cigar. No other church has that right there. <laughs> How many of you are familiar with the saying close but no cigar? Let me just see real quickly. Okay, what is that? It's actually a colloquial saying. It came from America in uh, the mid-20s um, and the 30s and the 40s when, when carnivals used to travel all over the United States and they have the midway. Remember, like if you've ever been to Elitches, you know where they have all the games that you can play, the skee-ball and you take the hammer and you, you whack the thing that goes up and hits the bell. Those are carnival games. And if you did it the right way, you would win a prize. And back in those days, instead of giving you like a little stuffed animal, you could win a cigar. 
but they had it rigged so that you had to spend a lot of money. So the barker, the carnival barker, come step right up, step right up. That's called a carnival barker. His job was to, boom, you hit it. Oh, close, but no. And it's turned in today that people use it whenever somebody is close to something, but they didn't quite get it, right? Okay, so let me show you someone who got real close, but didn't quite get it. So the first one is Philip. Philip, how are we going to feed these people? (laughs) Jesus, if we worked for the next six months, we couldn't get enough money to feed these people. And then Simon Peter's brother speaks up uh, uh, and he says, Andrew, he says, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Look at this. If it would have stopped right there, it's one of the greatest answers of faith ever in the Bible. Because here's what he's saying. Jesus, I found an answer. I found a couple of fish and a few loaves. Now do the miraculous with it. But he blows it with the next sentence. And the next sentence goes, but what good is that with this huge crowd? And Jesus in effect said, close, but no cigar. And I wonder how many times we get close because look, We all know that our God is supernatural and we all know that he loves us and he answers our prayers. And how many times we come with half the answer. Okay, God, okay. I don't have a lot, but here's what I do have. God, you know what? I I don't know how you're gonna do this, but I know you can do it. But, and then we kill it with that next part. Yes, sir. Anybody else like that in this room? You know what I found? It's usually not this service that has trouble with this. Those Saturday night heathens, do they have trouble with faith? Apparently this is, I wish I had a, like a tub of water so you could all get up and walk across it real quick and show me. Because you know what I really think about the disciples? You want to know why these stories are in there? Because them's us and us is them. We do the same thing. We may not say the exact same words, We'll get it half right. God, I know you can show up and then the next words out of our mouth are, but you'll probably do it for somebody else. This probably is not that big of a deal for you. Unfortunately, God, I can't participate this time. Anybody hear what I'm saying right now? So in in my notes, it's not in yours, but I wrote the word important because I wanted to make sure that I said this to you. Listen to this sentence, please. Please listen to this sentence. God can use what you have, not what you think you need. Say it again. Okay, listen. God can use what you have, not what you think you need. Jesus is a master at using whatever is in your hand. Not what you think you need in your hand in order to get God to do something good for you. All they have is a few fish and a few pieces of bread. That's all they have. And guess what? It's enough. Jesus is not, man, if we only had three more fish. Can someone run out there real quick and go fishing, please? Come on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because most of the time, uh, man, how can I connect this real quickly? Oh, come on, come on, John, come on. Uh, Two weeks ago, there's no $200,000 offering. There's just this great need. 
And I've got a motorcycle and for sure it's worth a little bit, but nowhere near $200,000. And it would have been great to say, hey, I've got this car worth $200,000 and I'm going to sell it and it'll take care of this need, right? That's logical. But all God wants is, can he have what's in your hand? Because if you can give him what's in your hand, he can do the miraculous with it. And a lot of us choke on this because a lot of us, you know what, I'll stand up here and I'll go, listen, our God is like this with us and we should be like that with him. And everybody shakes their hand until I say, can you be like this with God? And that's when a lot of people go, oh, you don't know how hard I had to work to get this. You don't know how long it took me to get this. You don't know what this means to me, really. So do you think like, um, like I was born with a gift of faith? Do you think like, like I was born, like just like I came out of the womb giving stuff away? Like when I was two and my mom, I had a set of blocks and my brother was like, hey, I want to play with it. I'm like, oh, please take my blocks. Or do you think I took the blocks and whacked them in the head with it and said, don't ever touch my blocks. Don't ever touch my blocks. You cannot have, these are my blocks. This is the development over time of trusting God and putting to use the thing that I believe. Here's what I believe. God told me this a long time ago. John, I will put it in your hand if you'll let it go through your hand. And I look at, look at me. I make no, I'm not a great businessman. I hold no patent on some product. I, I'm, I know what I am. The only, the only thing that allows me to stand here is that God's hand rests on my life. I know that. But one of the great things that God is able to do with me is that millions of dollars can go through these hands all over the world without me having to say, mine, 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 mine. Can I just, does it sound like I'm bragging when I say that? I'm trying to teach you something. This is like, and, and so, so if you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm just not experiencing the, I wonder if what Pastor John says is true. I wonder if he really is excited like that and happy like that. This is exactly how I am. This, dude, you don't want to get me at your house at a party. I will embarrass you, man. I am just like, ah. if you're going to serve God, you should enjoy it. And if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, listen to what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And if you're bored and you're going through the motions, there's a disconnect in what God wanted for you and the life that you're living right now. And it has nothing to do with how old you are, what your education is, what's going on in your life, the trouble is, don't you know, dude, I deal with trouble all the time. In the last two weeks, Three of my, two of my children and one of my grandchildren have been in the hospital over the weirdest things. My son, David, had to have his gallbladder taken out two nights ago. It's amazing just the spiritual crud that comes against us. And yet I am so joyful today. Look at me. I'm good. It's a gallbladder. We'll be okay. We go forward. I, I don't know why I'm Am I just crazy up here right now? Or am I, are you understanding what I'm saying? For real? For real? Or some of you are like, oh, Lord, he finally lost it. 
like it's, it happened. I knew it was going to happen and it happened today. So let, let me just say this real quickly. Can I bring honor to an unnamed little boy in scripture? We know nothing about this little boy. We don't know what his name is. We don't know exactly how old he is. We don't know. We never read about him again. But can I bring honor to an unnamed little boy? Let me just say these two things about him. The only one smart enough to think, hmm, we might get hungry this afternoon. No adult thought that. But this little guy thinks about it and brings his lunch along. Chris said to me last night, his mother probably told him to bring it along. Of course, right? Yay to the moms in the room. Because I'm sure all the dads were like, yeah, see ya. Wait, hang on, I'm gonna go with you. But all the moms are like, now listen, get a coat, because you never know, and bring something to eat. <laughs> but I wanna give honor to a little boy what did the little boy get out of the deal? Extra. What? Extra. Okay, I can't prove it, but I think the Lord said this to me this week. The reason, scripture is this very carefully edited book and it include, everything in it is included for a reason. So it's pointed out that Jesus said, gather up all the extra. And then it tells us, how, it doesn't just say gather up the extra, but it tells us exactly there are now 12 baskets overflowing with food. Who do you think got the baskets? The one who brought it and who deserved it in the first place. So this little kid, maybe he was headed back towards his house when he came across this crowd, stopped, and he's part of a miracle and the Lord uses him. But what did he get out of it? I think just me, and you're free to go, I disagree. But can you imagine this little boy? Can you imagine Jesus telling the disciples, look, help him carry that stuff back home? And him going into his mom and dad's house and saying, hey, I did have just a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish, but I've got enough to feed us for a month. And you know the other thing this little boy got? He got an experience with Jesus that the rest of us will be envious of for the rest of our lives. Wouldn't you love for God to take what's in your hand and multiply it beyond your ability to carry it yourself. Yes or no? And if you don't raise your hand, you don't get it. So wouldn't you love that to happen? Yeah, of course, of course, come on. It's okay to say, God, do that for me. It's okay to want those things. It's okay to go for it. It's okay, church. God loves it when we go for it with him. And here's the last one. And I just want to talk about the miracle of multiplication. Multiplication is that third fill in the blank. Verses 11 through 13 in that story just read this way. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftover so that nothing is wasted. It's a powerful, so they picked up the pieces, filled the 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Okay, powerful, powerful story. Just unbelievable. And here's the only thing that I wanna just point out to you. Jesus um, takes each, each element one at a time. He didn't do it both together. It says he did it one at a time. So he takes the bread and he does these three things. He blesses it, he breaks it, 
and then he gives it. And he actually had the disciples do it. Jesus didn't, he gave it to the disciples. Now, so when Jesus blessed it and broke it, it didn't turn into a huge mound of food that kept growing and growing and growing. How did the multiplication happen? When they were giving it out, every time they put their hand in the basket, there was just more to hand out, always more to hand out. It never ran dry. That's how it works. Same thing with the fish. It didn't turn into a huge pile of fish. It's that whenever they reached in there and they broke a piece off to hand it, how much would you like? A lot. And it happened in the hands of the disciples. And here's what I want to point to you. We missed the nuance of a wonderful story. When you're willing to let God bless it, break it, and in the giving, when you're willing to give what you've got, your time, your talent, Mike, your treasure, it's in the giving that the multiplication happens. Aaron, how old are you right now? 18 years old. Dude, if you could learn this principle at 18, it will serve you well for the rest of your life. Some of us are sitting in this room at 58 and 68, and we struggle with letting it go out of our hands. We're praying, God, would you multiply in my life? You want the miracle of multiplication without the principle of giving. So I knew, I knew, Pastor, I knew. I'm not taking an offering. I should, because it's for your own good. But I won't be accused of manipulating you or twisting your arm or getting your heart in the right place and then asking. I won't let someone do that to me. But what I'm telling you right now, go back through the scripture and look. It is in the giving that multiplication. Can anybody say amen to that? Quit being afraid of this principle. I'm not asking you for anything. God is trying to call you. You want his blessing? It's in the giving that multiplication. And I know we'd rather the other. I'd rather hold on to it and have it multiply as I gripped it tighter. And it does not work that way. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. Giving is always the key for miraculous multiplication. Um, man, I'm out of time. I wish I could multiply time. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Let's close, let you go. I can do it. Amen. Do you mean it? Yes. So here's what God wants out of this message. Do you know what God really wants you to give? He doesn't want your money. And he doesn't want your children. And he doesn't want your marriage. He doesn't want your job. He wants you. See, if he gets you, he gets all of that stuff, doesn't he? And he doesn't need any of it. He wants you. And so you, you really want me to do what God told me to do? Okay, here's what God told me to do. To be bold right now and to say, many of us are living with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, and we're hoping that God can somehow bless that lifestyle. And it's time to go all in for God. You're bored. 
you want to go to heaven, but somehow in between you're living this lifestyle that is like the pastor's up here talking about all these things and you're wondering, man, is he just an actor? Is it, maybe it works for him, but I, no, 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 no. God is no respecter of persons. God has been calling you and wooing you and pulling you. And now, man, I stand with boldness. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm not pulling the wool over your eyes. I'm not trying to get you to do anything. I'm trying to say it's decision day. Quit walking down a, a, a line that you're straddling that when you're in here, you're trying to have faith. But when you leave here, you're trying to live in the principles of the world. Stop it. Give everything to God. Give your whole heart to God. Jesus said to love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, everything that you have. Love God. Quit wavering. Quit arguing. Quit trying to ask for proof. Just go all in. Give him everything, man. Don't argue about it. Don't, don't go, but if I do that, he's gonna want this. That's the devil talking to you. Quit agreeing with the enemy of your soul and begin to say yes to the lover of your soul. Begin to say you can have all of it. Don't bargain. You can have all of it, but this. You can't have this person. You can't have this habit. You, you, you can't have this secret. Stop! Stop. If you're like, you can't talk to me that way. <laughs> it is love talking to you right now, man. It's not anger. And it's sure not indifference that's talking to you. And I didn't stand up here to win a contest. I stood up here on behalf of God to say to you, man, quit walking between. How long will you vacillate between two opinions? If God is the Lord, then serve him with everything. Serve him with everything. So what do we do about this? We come to this point in time where we can just say to God, okay, today's surrender day. Today's decision day. I don't want to stay in the valley of decision any longer. I'm not talking about, do you love Jesus and do you want to go to heaven? I, that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about giving your life. It's make him the Lord of everything and say to him, you can go through anything and everything. I will no longer hold anything with my hands closed. I will open them up and God, you can be the Lord. You can decide. I give you permission. And I said it earlier and I'll say it one more time. If he is anything, he is worthy of trusting him that he is good and he will not harm you. And I know what I'm saying right now is very scary for some of you and very big for some of you, but I'm telling you on the other side of surrender is the life that you were created for. Oh my goodness, that's so good. On the other side of surrender is the life you were created for. So, Father, all of us, beginning with me, 
and including everybody in this room and that is participating online right now, all of us, no one exempt, all of us are being asked the question right now, will you surrender everything? I know what our minds do. They go to that one thing or those couple of things where we're just like, oh, John, please, please leave me alone about this. And so that it's really clear to you, surrender includes even those things that you don't want to surrender. And God is super gracious to us, super merciful. He won't force you to do anything. He's not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to leave you. He'll never forsake you. But the principles of the kingdom are there can only be one king. There cannot be two. He's the king. And you have to choose to say, you can be the king of my life. You can have everything. Everything. And then rather than listen to the devil tell you, oh, God's going to take all the good stuff from you. Just right now. Do what the disciples didn't do in that case. And just think back to God's faithfulness to you. To God's goodness to you to God's love for you. God's not going to harm you. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to rob you. Jesus said, I came to bring abundant life, a life that's actually worth having. And for so many of us, that's words on a piece of paper. It's not a reality that we enjoy in our life. And God wants you to enjoy abundant life. Did you hear what I said? God wants you to enjoy abundant life. So right now, I'm gonna ask you to make a decision. Can you surrender everything? Can you trust him with everything? things that have disappointed you, things that you feel you need an answer for, betrayals that you wish you could find some way to get even with, mistakes that have happened, shame that just keeps you locked in a corner, hopes and dreams that you just feel like they're never gonna come to be. And pastor, I don't even wanna talk about them anymore because I just can't stand to be disappointed. Can you surrender it all? Can you bow the knee to your life and say, Jesus, be Lord over everything? If you can answer yes to that, then I'm going to pray for you right now. And if in all truthfulness, you simply can't answer yes to it right now, I'm going to pray for you too, but it's a little different prayer. So for those of you who can say, 
That's it. I'm done. I'm no longer going to waver between two opinions. I'm not going to try to live one way when I leave here and be one way when I come here. I'm not going to talk about having faith and then go out of here and try to run my own life. I'm going to be unified and I'm going to be solid under the banner that Jesus is Lord. If that's you and you're saying yes to that, then I pray the grace of God would fall on you like it never fell before. I pray that you find God's help as you, as you surrender. I pray that you find God's mercy as you let him deal with issues. I pray that you find God's goodness when you feel like, oh, this hurts. Oh, why did I say yes to this? It hurts. I pray you find his goodness to know that that pain is only, it's just to remove that poison and that on the other side of that man is healing and it's life and it's wholeness. I am speaking to someone right now. I don't know who you are, but there's, you know, I'm talking to you. You know, I'm talking to you. Full surrender, unconditional. No okays, but full surrender. And I pray that you would quickly find in that surrender, that lordship issue, that the abundant life that Jesus promised, I pray that quickly you discover it and the joy that takes over your life is so compelling and so wonderful that you will say to yourself, what took me so long? And I also pray for those of you who just honestly don't know that you can trust the Lord or just who aren't ready to surrender completely yet. Who feel like <laughs> that if I surrender fully to him, I know what he's gonna deal with and I just, I don't want him to deal with that. I've been there. Here's what I pray for you. That you also would discover the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. Do you know that the Bible tells us that when we are unfaithful to him, he remains faithful to us because he will not deny himself. Can you believe that? That when we're unfaithful, he stays faithful. I pray you will discover a side of God that you never knew existed, that it's not based in human origin and human understanding, but it's, it's, it's of God, it's supernatural, it's It's everything. I do pray that if you're in a place and you just simply can't surrender, I do pray that the Holy Spirit won't leave you alone. I pray that the Holy Spirit will pursue you and woo you and draw you and work on convincing you that he is much better able to hold your life in his hands than you are to hold your life in your hands. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hmm. Okay. The preacher just like, something's happening to me. You just have to know. I don't know if you've just know. Just, God's just, dude, I'm like being consumed in front of you 
with what God's doing with me. And it's a really awesome thing because so goes the preacher, so goes the church, right? That's the truth of the matter. So get ready. Just get ready because this is not, dude, we're not playing church. This is good. I love you. I'll shut up now. Come on, Pastor JJ, come dismiss these good people.